Well, good morning, class. It is, it is my joy again to be with you. Um, I hope it's, it's your joy to be here as well. Um, uh, it's, it's so encouraging to see those of you who want to be here to learn more about the person of Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, it's a, such, just a, such a joy and privilege for me this morning to, to bring the Word of God to you again uh, through this lesson. And um, <clears throat> as far as last week goes, if, if, if some of the terms that were used that were sort of unfamiliar and I didn't explain that well enough, please, if there's even anything like that, even today, and I, and I happen to just say something like propitiation and not explain it, um, raise your hand, stop me. What does that mean? Just, just call it out. You can't do that in service. You can do that here. You can't do that in service. What's that? <laughs> you really want me to explain? Were you here last week? Okay. Okay, now, here, here's, here's the thing. I would love to explain that in one sentence. I want to see if someone else here this morning, uh, besides Brandon and Drew and Alejandro and Danny and others of you, to explain what, what propitiation is. One word. It's the mercy seat. The mercy seat. Okay, good. What? Excellent. Old Testament? Uh, well, the, the mercy seat on, on the uh, ark. The ark? Thank okay. You. Yep. With the angels. Good, good. And in doing that, yep. God's wrath against our sin is satisfied. He paid our debt. His wrath is satisfied on our behalf. He paid our sin debt. Amen. Amen. See, I don't need to teach this class. You guys need to be up here teaching it. Praise the Lord for his propitiation. Amen. Um, just a brief review uh, for last week. <laughs> last week we basically um, saw that there is no one in all of time, creation, and eternity who is worthy of our praise and reverence than the eternal God who became man. That is Jesus Christ. Uh, we basically swam in that wonderful uh, blessed truth last week. We gazed for a moment. Um, if you'll remember, this works. We gazed for a moment uh, at the eternal pre-existence of Christ. Um, remember, I and the Father are one, John ten thirty, speaking of the unity of the nature and essence of the Son of God. And, and for what purpose? For what purpose? For the eternal purpose, as we saw last week, and work of God being committed to the plan of redemption. Just as we read, just, just, just read Ephesians 1 on the purpose and work of, of God on that magnificent point. And then how did he fulfill this eternal purpose and work of salvation? How did he do it? Well, he did it in time, space, and history. It's not just some cute story. It was an actual, literal, historical account. In the incarnation, as we saw last week, in God, the eternal Son, taking on the likeness of sinful flesh, robed in frail humanity, bearing our sins in his body on the cross. Why? To rescue us from the holy wrath, as we just talked about, that we deserved from our sin, from Satan, to make us sanctified, his sanctified, purified bride, to call us out of, his, out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, we could keep going, but let me just stop there and say what a champion we have in Jesus Christ. The one who did what he did to the glory of God and for our poor, pitiful, sinful sakes. He's our Savior King, which we'll see in just a little bit. And so this brings us today to just to glance for a moment, okay, at his attributes, at his titles, and at his declarations of his deity, showing us the Savior, as we'll see at the end, who is Lord and King. But before we marvel at such truths, how did we do with our memory verse from last week? <laughs> now, here's what I want to do, if that's okay. I want to have one gentleman uh, quote that memory verse, it's, it's John 1, don't cheat, okay? It's John 1, verse 1 and 14. And then after that gentleman quotes it, I want, I want to have a lady 
quote it for us also. So when you do this, gentlemen and gentleman and, gen- and, and lady, okay, you're going to then vicariously grant that righteousness of you quoting that, that memory verse for the sake of all the rest of the men. And then ladies, whoever that is for you, who's representing the ladies, you then vicariously give uh, that A-plus to the ladies as well, if it's an A-plus. Does that sound good? Can we do this together? Okay, so now normally it's a ladies first sort of a deal. In this case, since men are to be the the spiritual leaders, we're going to have the man go first, okay? So who would like to represent for the men for John? Now I'm going to give you a quick sneak peek. Ready? That's it. That's all you get. That's it, okay? So, for the men, who would like to go? Who's the first hand to go up and then that's it, that's you? John chapter, uh, sorry, yeah, John 1, verse 1 and 14. Yes, sir. You got it? Oh, is is he trying it out? Okay. Okay, last sneak peek, and let's see if we'll have enough guts to do it. Ready? That's it. That's it. Okay. Who's it going to be? Maybe we should ask Mike to do it. Mike, also, what's the the memory verse from this, this last week? John 1, 1 and 14. Okay, that, that's fine. Okay, we got, we got Danny over here. Go ahead. Keep going. Good. Now, now verse 14, that's right. What kind of glory? Glory is teamwork. Good. Full of grace and truth. Good teamwork, men. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. Loud and clear. No, just verse 1 and then skip to 14. Hey, you jump to Colossians 1, that is fine. That is, that is awesome. Fill it up. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> Do all of it. Really? Wait, are you serious? That's right. That's right. Gentlemen, good job. That's it. Good work. Okay, one lady or seven of you. Let's do it. Here we go. Okay, wait, wait, who, who is it? Who is it? Who's it going to be? Need you to stand and proclaim it, and and we will we will bathe ourselves in it. Yes, me. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. What a joy, isn't it? Uh, What's Psalm 119 say? Oh Lord, your word I've treasured in my heart. Why? So that I may not sin against you. And on on this point of our our memory verse this morning, here it is again. Um, let's, Let's come to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll begin, okay? Precious Heavenly Father, thank you that um, we have instant access to the throne room of grace because of your Son because of what has been done. Um, The eternal plan of redemption uh, through Christ, our Lord, our champion, our Savior. May you be exalted this morning uh, in this time uh, as we uh, revel in uh, such amazing truth, uh, the the only truth um, that really matters for, for life and godliness and for salvation. Thank you for these, your people, this morning who have come eager and ready to rejoice in such truth. May we do that now to the glory of your name and for the refreshment of our souls. In Christ's name we pray. 
Amen. Amen. So, as we begin, um, <clears throat> we come to the man who is God, and we come to the attributes of his deity. Now, again, I don't want to fly over words and, and assume that all know these things. I don't know about you as parents, but sometimes you'll use certain words over and over again, and you'll be like, oh, I didn't explain that to my children, and for years, you know, they, I've used a certain word, <laughs> I haven't explained it, and then three years later, ha- after having used it, they'll be, what is, what is attributes of God? And they know what we've been talking about, but just like one of those simple definitions kind of a deals, which I struggle with, with doing that sometimes. But when it comes to the attributes of his deity, um, attributes, another word for attributes you could really just say is the, the perfections of his deity, that which is ascribed to God and his nature and his character. So you could also say, Okay, what is attributed? I think most of us get that word, but what are the perfections of Christ's deity? And as we saw last week, his deity simply refers to his godness, okay? It's, it's Christ has and is only that which God is and can do, okay? Jesus Christ is, is that which only which God is and can do. So we're just going to this first slide that we're on this morning is really the one that we're going to be on the longest because the, the, succe- the succeeding ones, the, 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 the last eight or so that you'll, you'll have in your handouts, um, will go fairly, fairly quickly, okay? So we might get you out of here a little bit early, okay? More time for, for fellowship and, and, and coffee, but um, we'll see uh, when that time comes. But let's marvel in some of the attributes uh, of Christ's deity, First one, can, can you joyfully and excitedly say this morning, Jesus Christ is sovereign and has all authority. He is sovereign. He is in perfect control of all things, and nothing happens by accident with him. He does not react. He acts. <laughs> right? Uh, in, in that case, uh, uh, we are not like him, and he is not like us. Even as we saw when Brandon was going through the attributes of God, and he was, he was talking about his communicable attributes and his incommunicable attributes, um, which one would you think this is? Communicable or incommunicable? Right. We don't have this one, <laughs> okay? Jesus Christ and his, sovereign, his sovereignty and his authority— and when you come to Matthew 28, Matthew 28 should, should perk up in our, in our thinking when we hear Matthew 28, especially the end of Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is concerning what? The great, the great commission, okay? And where Jesus is there with his disciples, and what does he say? Some authority has been get, what, what does it say? All authority has been given to me, right? And he says that many times, and we'll see it again. It's been given to me from my Father. Now, it's interesting, right? Because Christ has been sovereign with the Father from, eter- from all eternity. But then you see all these passages where it says, the Father has given me authority. Oh, is there a contradiction here? What? No, it's simply in reference to his humanity, on earth. You have to understand this is the Son of God, and the Father and Jesus being one together, it has been given to him. Listen. What did he say? What did the Father say? This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. So we see this in the Great Commission. This is vital to understand. Then we can also go to John 5, um, uh, 26 and 27, the same idea of all authority is in Christ's hands, and that's where the Father gives authority for Jesus to execute judgment, to execute judgment, okay? And just another one, you could probably write it down, I don't have it on the screen, but Revelation one eighteen, Revelation one eighteen, where Jesus says, I have the keys of death and Hades. <clears throat> That's a pretty big statement, wouldn't you say, regarding sovereignty and authority? In other words, he decides who lives, who dies, and when. 
That's a sobering truth, isn't it? It's also a joyful truth for those who are in Christ. He, Jesus Christ, alone has all sovereignty and authority. Let's go to his eternality. His eternality. We we touched uh, on this a lot last week, um, of how he is the eternal Son of God, okay? And just, just, just one, one verse here, First uh, John 1, 2, you'll see here where Jesus says, <clears throat> or, or, sorry, where the Apostle John says that Christ is the eternal life, which was with the Father. He is the eternal life, who was and always was with the Father. That we talked about his pre-incarnate glory in that aspect last week also. And by the way, you know, when you stop and you think of, say, eternal life, just think of John 3.16 for a moment, okay? And you come to the end, right, speaking of eternal life is only in him. How could eternal life be in someone who is not eternal, right? Just, th- just think of that in the simplicity and the, the magnitude of John 3.16, right? Um, also, if I were to pass out little white note cards to everybody here this morning, and, uh, and I said, okay, I want you to write down just in one sentence, or even one phrase, what is eternal life? We'd all be writing it, and you'd all get it right. We would all touch on many aspects of the truth of what eternal life is, or what eternal life looks like. But every time, especially coming across this verse, not, you know, I don't know how many years, I lose track of time, but whatever year that was, when I came across John 17, verse 3, and you stop there and you see how Jesus in his, his, his high priestly prayer to the Father says, this is eternal life. Okay, what's it going to be? Eternal life. Ah, oh, fun in heaven forever. Okay, now that might, that, that, that's a part of it, sure. This is eternal life. Fill in the gap. You know what John 17, 3 says, right? And you could cheat right now if you want. This is eternal life, that they, his people, may know you. And you finish the rest of the verse, you see the deity of Christ, Jesus Christ. <laughs> This is eternal life, to know him. And not head knowledge, not just Bible knowledge, but this is the intimate knowledge and love of Christ that we have with him because of his shed blood for us on the cross and his resurrection. So marvel at his eternality. No beginning, no end. He is the eternal life which was with the Father. What about his omnipresence? His omnipresence. Now, that word omni is Latin for a certain word, and that's the only, that's the only um, help I'm going to give. So what is, what is, I see some youth raising their hands, okay? What is omnipresence referring to, referring to Jesus Christ? Yes, well. All present, present everywhere. Good. That's his omnipresence. Now, <clears throat> at the risk of being trite, okay, at the risk of being trite this morning, because of such truth, you can say this, Jesus Christ is with us now. Amen? I mean, if you're going to go to, to Matthew 1 and 2, he is Emmanuel. That means God with us. He is with us. He is omnipresent um, we see this in the Great Commission. <laughs> Don't you love this, where he says it to his disciples, Matthew 28, 20? I am with you always, even at the end of the age. <sighs> I mean, that, that, that ought to comfort us greatly uh, this morning. And then uh, in John, okay, I, I'm just going to summarize this, but again, please be opening your Bibles to these passages. But in John 14, 23, And if you back up to verse 17 of John 14, I'm going to summarize it just in one sentence for you. Okay, John 14, and if you take verse 17 and 23 in that same passage, here's what you could say. 
the Trinity abides in the believer. <laughs> Just read it. And, 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 and if you have a difference, let's talk about it later. But it's plain and simple right there. In John 14, verses 17 and 23. Um, real quickly, if there is, is there another passage that might come to mind regarding the omnipresence of the Lord Jesus Christ, specifically in the Old Testament? Now, there's a ton, so you're, you're probably not going to be wrong. But is there one that, there's, I'm just saying, there's one that sticks out in my mind when it comes to the omnipresence of God. Is there one that sticks out in your mind? Anybody's? What is it? Help us out. I am. Excellent. Good. Good. That's mentioned a lot, and we're going to talk about that more in a moment, all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. Good. What else? What's another passage? Maybe a, a chapter or a verse that, 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 in, that shows you Jesus Christ, the Lord, is omnipresent. He is with us, and he is everywhere always. Psalm 139. That's the one we were going for. I was going for. Now, if there's other ones, please shout them out. Say it and, and enrich us this morning. Psalm 139. I, I, just without going into that, because we got more to cover, <laughs> um, meditate on that this week. If you haven't read Psalm 139 or, or, or dwelt upon that for a while, Psalm 139. Um, where can I go from your presence, right? If I go to the highest heavens or the lowest hell, in the valley of the shadow of death, there, there you are, right? Um, yep, Psalm, Psalm 139. Um, very, very, very encouraging uh, regarding the Lord Jesus Christ's omnipresence. Um, and aren't you glad, aren't you thankful for his Holy Spirit that then points you to such truth and he comforts us with such a reminder that though it's veiled now, uh, to us, regarding his, it's not, there's not this perfect, oh, feeling, but you know it because you've been born again by the abiding, living word of God. We know it, and we're going to actually, in its fullness, experience it in the glories of heaven. Hold on to it. Hold fast. And then, we, then praise the Lord. When we lose our grip, his grip isn't lost on us. He is omnipresent. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is with us. What about his immutability? Immutability. This is a fancy word for, anybody help us out on this one? Yes. Never changing. He is a God who never changes. There is no shifting shadow with him, right? James chapter 1. He is unchanging in his character, in his will, and his promises, right? Uh, Titus 1.7, God, all the promises that he gave us, who cannot lie. <laughs> Do you love that? Numbers quotes that as well. And he is our unchanging God. Hebrews 13.8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. You know, that's, that's, that should be an encouraging note, too, for even when we, when we give this such truth to our children, right? I mean, they see mom and dad. We're, we're supposed to be this rock-steady foundation for them, and we seek to do that. But then mom and dad change. <laughs> they, we have a God who never changes, and he keeps his promises. He is immutable, unchanging, never changing. Another, uh, at least the, the prefix of it, Latin term, omniscience. Oh no, wait, how do we pronounce it? Omniscience. He is our omniscient Christ. Anybody want to take a stab at, at this, this term? Yes, sir. Yep, so, go ahead, say it. All-knowing. Science, knowledge, omni, all, all, all science, all-knowing. He is our all-knowing Christ. John uh, 16 Verse 30, right? Where the disciples, all the disciples, really together, it's in that passage. It's like it's one voice with them. Uh, they say uh, to Jesus, 
you know all things. You know all things. Uh, John 2, 24, um, where, where, where the Apostle John says that Christ knows what is in man. And he wasn't entrusting himself to them. He, he knew the, the thoughts of men. I know you and I sometimes we stumble and we think, oh, I know what she's thinking. I know what he's thinking. You know, and, and, and if you've been humbled by that, I know I have, um, and you see that you are wrong, <laughs> he is never wrong. He knows your heart. He knows my heart perfectly. He is, he is all knowing. John 21, 17, again, Peter says to him, remember, remember the, the discourse between, between the two? Um, Peter, do you love me? And what did Peter say at the, 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 the third time? What did Peter say? Lord, you know all things. You know that I really, really like you. <laughs> he, he was then honest the third time because he didn't use the same uh, Greek word there. It wasn't agape. It was actually phileo. And he was really honest. Lord, you know that I, I in a brotherly love, love you, but I cannot agape you. Only you can before the Father, right? So, <laughs> you know all things. You know that I really, really like you is basically what he was saying. You know all things. You know my heart. And then, and then even after Peter resp- replied that way, what did he say? He said, okay, that's good enough. Feed my sheep. You know all things. Uh, John 6 64, uh, where Jesus says, uh, where John says, he knew who it was who would betray him. He knew it was, who it was who would betray him. Our, our Lord Jesus Christ, he is omniscient. He knows all things. Nothing takes him by, by surprise. What about his perfection and sinlessness? This is, this is pretty easy, right? I think we all agree upon this. He's perfect and sinless, and there are, there's a, a plethora of, of scriptures we could go to regarding this. Um, but real quickly, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now, I, be, I believe this was one of our scripture memory verses for, for North Lake Bible Church. Are you right? How many months ago was that, Drew? Or, okay, March. Stephen, thank you. March. Uh, let's, re- let's reach back to March, okay? Was it June? Okay, thank you for that correction. I was wondering if you're going to get that right. Okay, it's June. Okay, so back to June, and that's long enough for us to think about. 2 Corinthians 5.21, and, and this, is, this is the summary. This is the gospel in one Greek sentence, and this is especially regarding his perfection and sinlessness and what that then produces for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Okay. Okay, very close. Very close. That's, I believe that's first... What, you, yes, that was 2 Corinthians 5.17. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know, references are tricky. I'm thankful for them, but it's still difficult. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.21. You got it? Ready? Here we go. Okay. Yep. Yes. Yeah. How thankful are we for such truth? He, the Father, made him, the Son, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, in Christ. Perfect, sinless. He knew no sin. And I mean, do you see how you can burst forth into, oh, his obedience, oh, his submission to the Father there, the, the, the gospel. This is the good news. 
Because you can't come before God unless you stand righteous in his presence. And the righteous one was treated as though completely unrighteous, bearing our sins in his body on the tree so that we would live to righteousness, for by his wounds we are healed. Dear, dear people of God this morning, swim in the perfection and sinlessness of Christ. Oh, you're struggling with that, that argument with your, um, your spouse, your children, um, that difficulty at work? Pause for a moment. Meditate upon such truth of who he is and what he's done in our behalf. You take that argument, you take that difficulty to Calvary's foothill. And, and I love what, who is it? I don't want to, I don't want to misquote, but can't remember who said it. But I, lo- I love what he said. He said, oh, you have that argument? You're, you're about ready to entertain that sin? You're about ready to, to go through with that lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life uh, sin right there? Um, before you uh, do that, just take that briefly to Calvary's foothill. See him, the spotless, uh, perfect, sinless Lamb of God, on your behalf, dying for that very sin. Okay, now go ahead and try and entertain that sin. Here's the awesome truth about it. You can't. But the problem is we don't run to Calvary's hill. (laughs) That's the problem. We don't run to him. This is our perfect, sinless Savior, and he did what he did to make us righteous so that we can come to him, so that we can draw near to him. He drew near to us. His holiness and righteousness. Another simple one, right? I mean, to our, the English terms, that is. Um, in Acts 3, 14 and 15, we see uh, that, that Peter gives him the title. It's basically a title. Uh, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but he is the holy, the righteous one. And then he goes on to say he is the prince of life, the, the originator of life. Um, so he combines his holiness, his righteousness, and the fact that he is creator, Jesus is creator, in two verses there. His holiness and his righteousness. The authority to forgive sins. What about this attribute? Okay. Um, I'm going to read this one uh, briefly. In Mark chapter 2, uh, five and then skipping to ten. Mark two verses five and ten. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, "Son, your sins are forgiven." Now verse ten. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, "I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home." Remember, their number, the people's number one issue wasn't the fact that he healed him physically. That was supernatural and miraculous enough as it was. It was the fact that he has the authority alone to forgive sins. No other priest, no te absolvo. It's, it's Christ alone who has the authority to forgive Sins and, and, and as the people, as the Pharisees, as the scribes would know, only God can forgive sins. And here is this short Jewish man who was not so attractive forgiving the sins of people before a holy God. He alone has the authority to forgive sins. What about, okay, and this is the last one, okay? His omnipotence. Here comes another pop quiz. Ready? Okay, Joy? All-powerful. Omnipotence means he is all-powerful. That's where we get that that word potentate. You've heard that ancient word referring to to kings, or potentate, uh, meaning monarch or, or ruler, referring to kings in ancient days. Now, just a couple quick examples of his Christ's omnipotence, his all power. We see this in his creation, in his power over creation. We could back up and say, how about his power in creating all things? Colossians 1, right? But now what about um, in his humanity, in his power over creation? Remember Matthew 8, 
23 to 27, um, the storm on the Sea of Galilee, right? And uh, what did, do you remember what was said uh, by the disciples when he, when he calmed the sea and it became as glass and he stopped the winds? What did they say? What's that? Yeah. Who is this that? Even the winds and seas obey him. What about in his power over, as you saw briefly a moment ago, over sickness and disease? Um, there's an incredible amount of these texts in the gospel, but Luke 4.40 is really just a, a short but power-packed um, emphasis of how when the sun set, okay, and Sabbath was over and the people were, were, were all the people were going home it was time to not only head home and get your groceries it was time to stop and to see Jesus to be healed <laughs> and so at sundown the, the, the this text in, in Luke 4 talks about how the multitudes it's the language of multitudes like like even in a group right here if you were coming up to just one person to receive healing do you know how how crazy how crazy that would be Multitudes were coming to him as the sun's setting, by the way, right? Just think of it. No street lights, right? We're talking torches. We're talking candles, <laughs> and they're coming to him. And his power over sickness and disease is proved. You can't even count throughout the New Testament. You can't. You can't count it. His omnipotence in his power over demons. His power over demons. Luke 4, 33 to 36, we see that he did this, the scriptures say, with authority and power, which he commands. He commands it. And lastly, his omnipotence in his power over, over death itself, right? <laughs> over death itself. Uh, you see in John 2, verses 18 to 19, um, where he says, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And the people, the, the Pharisees, they knew what he was talking they, 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 what, what Jesus then replies with is, I will raise it up again. And then the people began to, to see and know and understand that he's speaking of his, of his resurrection of his resurrection. And, and in John 10, verse 18, speaks of how he says, no one, no one takes my life. I lay my life down, and I will raise it up again. John 10, 18. <laughs> and and, and uh, in our notes here, John 11, verses 43 to 44, is regarding which, which person? Lazarus. Now, I'm not going to do it, okay? I've done it with my children, you know, where, where you like to, because the scriptures say he said with a loud voice, basically a screaming cry, Lazarus, come forth. And I, I, th there's been theologians before that have said, you know, if, if he didn't give that specific name, all the dead would rise from the grave and they'd be walking everywhere. Um, we see Christ's power over and over again, his omnipotence uh, over death itself. Um, these are just a few brief things uh, to marvel in regarding the, the, the attributes, the perfections of Christ's deity. Um, and again, we're just, we're just scraping the surface this morning. This is just a brief, a brief moment in, um, in swimming in glory. Um, so as we move on, uh, just real briefly, I don't know if th this one's going to work. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. Okay. Um, just, just real briefly, as these are sort of popping up, now you can look at them, <laughs> um, or you cannot, but just maybe something that other than, than, than comes up here regarding titles of deity. Titles of Jesus' deity. Okay? What are some, perhaps, that are on here, or perhaps that come to mind that, that aren't on the screen? His titles. That which he's given by others and that which he even gives to himself in, in the scriptures. What are some that comes to mind? What's that? Oh, the rock. Good. 
Yeah. The rock, yeah. Messiah. Good. The word. Yes. Say again. Redeemer. Holy of holies. The, the true cornerstone? The chief cornerstone. Amen. Savior. Savior. Yep. No. Lamb of God. Selag? King of glory. Friend. Yeah, Lord of hosts. Everything. What's that? Teacher. Teacher. Good teacher. Good. Good. Yeah. The only one. Excellent. Amen. He is the only one. Now, have you noticed, just as we're sort of throwing these out here, have you noticed that any title that you come across in the Old or New Testament is in reference to his deity, to his godness? Every single one of them, every single one of them lines, lines up. I, I hear, here's just a couple more that I have. I don't know. It might be mixed in there with the, <laughs> with the, the collage that we have here. But... Um, I love this one in, 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 in uh, familiar, Isaiah 9, 6, right? Speaking of the Son who was to come, He is mighty God. Mighty God. Pretty obvious, right? Um, he is, as we saw before, and we're going to see this in a moment, too. The I Am. Okay? The I Am. Now, if there's a Greek f- phrase you, you, sh- you should, like, really get, it's, it's, it's that one. <laughs> referring to his, his godness and his eternality. It's ego, not lego my ego, but it's ego amin. Ego amin. It's, it is, he's the eternal I am. I am. There's so ma- many more, even just like Isaiah seven fourteen, and then Matthew quotes it in Matthew one twenty three, As we said earlier, he is... Emmanuel, he is God with us. He's God with us. So marvel in the titles of the one who has saved you from your sin and who has brought you to himself. Moving on to the declarations of Christ's deity. Um, The declarations of of Christ's deity are are all throughout the New Testament, and uh, the thing is about this, if you, if you get this fundamental element of the faith, this is the fundamentals of the faith, um, if you get this fundamental element wrong, it quickly and easily leads into false teaching, like we mentioned last week. Okay? You get, you get the person and work of Jesus Christ wrong, it's not too long until you get everything else warped and you, and you delve into to false teaching. Uh, so, in 1 John, real briefly, um, again, it, it, this is another obvious text, and, 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 and when you come across texts like these, it's just, it's just so encouraging and so refreshing um, regarding the declarations of Christ's deity. In 1 John 5.20, again, another super, super clear statement. <laughs> it's, it's so plain. Um, 1 John 5.20 This is the true God and eternal life. (laughs) How do you get past that? How do you get past that? You can't. And this is John. This is the Apostle John saying this. And by the way, it's interesting too. You'll notice, why didn't Jesus just come out like among the scribes and the Pharisees and all of our teachers? Why didn't he just come out and say, See the miracles and, and, just, and just stand there and say, I am God. What? He could have just said it so simply like that. You know, he, it's never, it, that is never stated in the New Testament. Instead, he does it in his own genius way to use their language about father, son language and all that they knew and understood about, you know, before Abraham, and we're going to talk about that, before Abraham, I, I am, there's that I am statement. Instead, he spoke that way to confound them. 
he did it in such a, a genius way where we're like, well, why doesn't it just say I'm God? Well, you study your scriptures for about five or ten minutes and you'll see. <laughs> he is God. First John 5.20, I love it. This is the true God and eternal life. And so we move on to Colossians 2.9. We talked about this last week. For in him all the fullness, the fullness of deity dwells in uh, ghost-like form. You're, what's that? Bodily form. In the flesh, right? In the flesh. 100% God, 100% man. Didn't, didn't lose any of his deity as we saw last week, right? But he, for a time, submitted it to the Father, gave it up to the Father, and then was under the Father's authority in perfect obedience and perfect submission, maintaining his deity, never once losing it. John 1.1, here's our, a part of our scripture memory. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word, the Logos, was with God, and the Word was God. This Word, which is established in heaven for forever, and we now get to have His precious Word on our laps this morning, whether it's in our devices or our paper products this morning, <laughs> established forever in heaven, right? We should be very thankful that it's not just some wisping thing in the clouds or in the universe that, oh, there, there's that message, there's that sign from God. Oh, yeah, wait, wait, what did it say? What did he mean? What did he mean by that? What? You know, that's why we have the Word. We have the Word in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who has come and who is coming again. And now we have his written Word. Praise God. Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, which is who? It's Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. John 20, 28, don't you love it? Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my, my God. 1 Timothy 4, uh, sorry, 6, 14 to 16. He who is the blessed and, oh, here's a little emphasis, only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the only sovereign. A couple of specific ones as we, as we head towards, towards the end here where Christ declared himself to be God, again, in, not in a clear statement of I am God, but in a way in which the people would certainly understand, and we know that they understand it. Why? Because they picked up stones to kill him. Because he made himself equal, as we'll see, with God. John five eighteen. Follow along. For this reason... The Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Equal with God. It's, it's interesting. I'm not going to do this very much. It's, it's an interesting play, okay? On the Greek word for the word equal, the Greek word is isong. And it's really where a lot of transliteration comes in for the word son. Isong, son making himself equal with God. And we know, you know, all throughout the, the New Testament where if someone wanted to identify themselves and they wanted to know this man in the community, how would they address, give themselves? I am son of so-and-so. This is in reference to unified yet distinct. Unified in nature and essence yet distinct, right? Because the son is not the father, Right? The Father is not the Holy Spirit, right? But is the Holy Spirit God? Is the Son God? Is the Father God? Yeah. The deity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But here, 
they're picking up stones to kill him because he's calling God his own father, which makes himself equal with, with God, right? Now, I know this, break, this, this illustration breaks down, and you could, it could really lead into some not good things, but just as you would say with a father and a son, right? Same DNA, same blood, the same nature, same essence. But am I the same with, with, with my earthly father? Am I the same? Am I, am I my father? You know, do I have the same nature, same essence, same DNA as my, my father? It, it, it kind of, it, it makes you think, but then the illustration, right, breaks down. It won't work. It won't work. But with the eternal Son of God, this is the language that he gives to us to show us, and even to show them, why they wanted to kill him. You're making yourself to be equal with God. You're calling yourself God. And they couldn't take that. They couldn't take it. What about another one? John 8, 56 to 59. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. What? Jesus, or Abraham saw Jesus? Or he saw the day of Jesus? Yeah, well, how? In, the, in the, continual, the continuing seed, right, of Isaac, which would culminate ultimately in who? In Christ, right? This is Abraham believing God's promises, his redemptive plan unfolding that the Messiah, the Christ, would come. So, Jesus says, your father, whom they all looked up to, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, again, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You're not God. You're calling yourself God. And they picked up the stones again. Why? He's giving this I am statement again. They know their Old Testament scriptures. They know God in the flames of that burning bush before Moses, right? And what was the title? What was the, who did God say he was? I am that I am. Same terminology to, 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 to show them in perfect crystal clear clarity that, that he is God. This is reminiscent of God's name. I am. John 10, 30 to 33. I and the Father are one. Again, not identical persons, but one in divine essence. Oh, the Jews picked up stones. <laughs> Again, to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we, we do not stone you. Well, beforehand they were going to because of the Sabbath. And now they're saying, Oh, well now for a good work, we're not going to stone you. But for blasphemy. And because you being a man make yourself out to be God. Oh, Jesus you call yourself king. This is extreme disrespect for you to say that you are one with the Father. You make yourself out to be God. They said it themselves. Oh, it's fine. You, you heal the lame and the blind and the deaf, but it's not good, as we saw earlier. You're forgiving people's sins, and you're saying you're one with the Father. Nope. And I love what Jesus says in John 14, verse 9. He says to them, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. You've seen God. And, beloved, this morning, this is why we are here, right? <laughs> to worship our risen King. Luke twenty two sixty seven. Few are the Christ to tell us, but he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe, and if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, 
are you the son of God then? And he said to them, yes, I am. Or you say, you say that I am. He's now like causing them to make the confession. <laughs> then they said, what further need do we have of, uh, of, of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. And the, so the words and works of Jesus show he is God. And this God is indeed Savior. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me alone. Here's the exclusivity of Christ alone, of God alone. John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, this goes even beyond the language of the atonement. Takes away the sins of the world. Acts 14, 12, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Total reliance upon Christ alone for the spiritual healing of you and I, of mankind. And by the way, just real quickly, did you know that the word Savior is mentioned about 40 times in the New Testament? You know how many times the word Lord, Master, Curios, is mentioned in the New Testament? See, I went through my New Testament all week, and I underlined everyone, and I looked everyone up. For <laughs> What's that? More than that. More. <laughs> you got the first number right. You got the first. 700. About 700 times. And most of the times, do you know where they're also found? In the very book of Acts. <laughs> oh, he is indeed Savior, but he is Lord and King. And, and these, these titles indicate, <laughs> obviously, uh, someone who has the power to exercise absolute dominion and authority over all the realms. Lord and King, right? Remember? Jesus said to them, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Philippians 2.9, as we come to the end here, he sees that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Daniel 7.14, towards the end, his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. And just briefly here, dear, dear people, this morning, um, if he's Lord of your life, the one that we've been marveling in the last week and this week, um, then you are to have total and unreserved obedience unto him. And not in perfection, but in the direction of what his word says. And we will desire to do what he tells us to do, because even as we've been hearing uh, in the past couple weeks in Colossians, um, he is our master, and he owns he owns his people, and we joyfully submit to him because of who he is, as we've seen in the past two weeks. Revelation nineteen six, he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So on this point, we cannot make him Savior. We cannot say, thank you, Savior, thank you, Savior, and later, later on say, I'll make you a Lord of my life later. Um, the fact is, as we just see here in Philippians 2, he is Lord. He is Lord, and he is King. And just as we conclude, Acts 16.31, where Peter says to the Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And what is it? To believe. To believe in who he claimed to be, as we've been saying, and believe in precisely what he did for sinners like you and like me. And just as a jump start for, for next week, we're going to continue to, to dive into the, not only the person 
of Christ, but then the work of Christ, as, as Drew Michael will bring uh, this sweet truth of, of the work of Christ uh, to us next week. And so here's next week's passage. You can write that down, or you can probably, it's probably in your notes as well, and you can get a, a jump start on that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Prepare our hearts now to join in one heart and one voice to magnify the name of our risen Lord and King who is coming again. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.